Now, Matthew chapter 19 is where we're at, and we're in the story that most people refer to as the rich young ruler. Would you stand, please? And we're going to read the Word of God. If you're not able to stand, don't worry about that. Uh, But if you'd like to, we usually do that in this service. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your grace and for your goodness. God, we, we thank you, Father, for, um, for giving us this treasure, God, that is, is so captivating and so joy-giving and so beautiful that we, we can turn away from everything else in order to have it. God, show us that treasure. God, open our eyes to see it. God, be our teacher this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we need you. Draw our attention to these truths in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. All right, so real quick, what I think will help us today in looking at this story of what we, the guy we call the rich young ruler, I think it will help us to remind ourselves about the parable that we looked at probably six months ago in Matthew 13, verse 44. Okay, do you remember that parable? It's a really short one. And basically, it's a parable about treasure, okay? So in the parable in Matthew 13, 44, there is a treasure hidden in the field, and a guy come along, he stumbles upon it, he opens it up, it is more valuable than he can imagine. There is more gold and silver and jewels in there than he's ever dreamed was even possible, right? And he immediately closes the lid and he covers it up and he goes home, and this is my favorite part of the the parable. He says, in his joy, he sells everything. Oh, in other words, all of the stuff that he used to treasure, right? His classic cars, his shotgun collection, his, his, uh, his, his rental houses, his business. He, in his joy, all right? So you guys know what joy is, right? Smile on his face, cheer in his heart. He is liquidating everything, okay? And it's a happy thing. Why? Because he's found something that's so valuable, all right? So that's the parable Jesus tells in Matthew 13. Now, isn't it interesting 
that in Matthew 19, we have this story of a, of a guy who is standing in front of the king, all right? He's standing in front of the king of kings. He's standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus literally is offering him a treasure beyond his imagination. Jesus is offering him joy in a measure that his mind cannot fully comprehend. Jesus is offering him peace and security and riches that exceed his ability to even count them, all right? Jesus is offering him Riches in heaven, eternal life, justification, forgiveness, adoption into the family of God. And this guy walks away. Okay, now remember in Matthew 13, the guy runs back and liquidates everything. Smile on his face, joy in his heart because of the treasure he's found. This guy's got the treasure right in front of him. And he says, no thanks. And he says, no thanks Instead of parting with his treasure, he parts with Jesus because he doesn't see the value of what's in front of him. So, I think that that's helpful. That's helpful for me to see those two contrasts in the book of Matthew, all right? So let's look at this tragic story. So what do we know about this guy? Well, in verse 22, we know he's rich. He's got great possessions, okay? Verse 20, uh, he's referred to as a young man. Now, remember, Jesus would have been somewhere between 30 and 33 years old here. So if Matthew is referring to this guy as a young man, we can assume he's in his 20s, maybe his late teens, I don't know. But, but, he, but he's a young guy, right? And, and then Luke 18, 18 describes him as a ruler, okay? Now, this is a pretty unique combination, right? For a guy this young, okay, maybe 20, 25 years old, for a guy this young to have great wealth, he's got health, he's, got, he's handsome, he's, he's a young guy, he's in the prime of life, and he's a ruler. He's got power, okay? Power, possessions, youth, he's got it all. Now, now here's what we got to say about this guy. To his credit, I love this about him, he knows there's something missing. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that a beautiful thing? I mean, let's, let's give this guy credit where credit is due. He's got everything yet there's this nagging sense inside of him that he is missing something. And that's what brings him to Jesus. What brings him to Jesus is this reality, this feeling inside of him that, that there's something he's missing, okay? Now, even though he's got this reality that something is missing, there's two things that really trip him up. Number one, he's wrong about himself, and number two, he's wrong about Jesus, okay? So let's, let's look at those two things real quickly, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at this thing that Jesus commands him to do, okay? So first of all, he's wrong about himself. Now, notice in verse 16, when he comes, to the, when he comes up to, this, um, to Jesus, he says, Behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, this guy is confused about what, what his own condition of his heart is, okay? So what, he, what he's doing is basically asking Jesus, hey, what's the, what's the one thing that I, I need to do to get into heaven, all right? Now, the interesting thing about the rich young ruler is he is very much like most Oklahomans, all right? When you, when you compare how this guy thinks about faith, how he thinks about religion, how he thinks about uh, heaven, how he thinks about Jesus, he is very similar to the way most of your neighbors are going to think, okay? So basically, here's, here's this guy's theology. I'm basically good, and I, I just need, I need some advice on what's the one thing I need to do to push me over the edge, right? Like, I'm a basically good person. I pretty much got it all together. But Jesus, what's, what's the one thing that I need to do to get eternal life, okay? You know, so instead of believing what the Bible says about himself, which is he's broken, he's busted, he doesn't believe that. He believes he's basically put together, and he just needs a good thing to kind of push him over the edge. So notice what Jesus does. Notice his response to him. Jesus says in verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. All right? You see what Jesus says? Hey, why are you asking about what's good? There's only one who's good. 
Now, what's the implication of that? It's not you, right? There's only one that's good, right? I mean, he, he should get that. Jesus is talking about God. He said, there's only one that's good. That's God. That's, that's him, Jesus, okay? And the rich young ruler doesn't get that. But Jesus is referring to himself. There's only one who's good. You're not it. So what, what's, what's the reality of that? You're not good. It, it's the reality of the whole Bible, okay? The Old Testament says over and over again that man is broken in his sins. Paul puts together a bunch of those quotations in Romans 3, okay? He's quoting the Old Testament. He says, there is none righteous, no, not run. This is Romans 3.10. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become uh, worthless. There is no one good, not even one. What the Bible is really clear about is that we're not morally good. We're not all put together. We don't just need a little help. You know, he's coming to Jesus as if, hey, I pretty much got it all together. I, I just need to know, what's the one thing I need to do? Give, give, me, give me this action that's going to put me over the top. Well, the, the Bible says, no, you are morally brusted. You're broken. You're broken before God. You're not righteous. You're, you're in your sins. The only, the only way you can say you're good is compared to other people, okay, which is the way that most people live, right? It's like, well, I feel good about myself because I'm going to find other people that are worse than me, and I, I, I'm going to I'm going to look at them, and I'm going to say, well, I'm better than they are. Okay. Think about this. I could I could say up here this morning with all truthfulness that I am really good at technology compared to Fred. Okay. So compared to Fred. I, I'm really good. Like, I'm a techno wizard, all right? Like, I am, I am up on all the latest gizmos and gadgets, and, and I can run my phone and computer with great skill and ability compared to Fred, okay? See, that, that's the way a lot of people live their life is, is you know, if, you, if you're comparing me to Fred, I think I'm better than Fred. He's in some of my groups together. I think I'm better than him in technology. Now, when you get Pastor Ander up here, then I am terrible at technology. He has to help me literally every week just to run my computer, okay? So, so a lot of people, are just, it's just that. It's just, well, compared to this person, I'm morally good. Compared, well, I'm not gonna compare myself to that person, but I'm, I'm gonna find the people that I happen to be better at this one thing at. I'm gonna magnify that. That's what this guy's doing, okay? That's the only, the only way that he can describe himself as good is compared to other people, okay? So what does Jesus do? All right, so I want you to look at this whole passage as Jesus trying to help this guy get into heaven. He's trying to help this guy to salvation. He's trying to help this guy to eternal life, okay? So what's the guy's problem? He thinks he's good and he's not. So what does Jesus do? Jesus points him to the commands, right? He points him to the commands of Scripture. Now, why does Jesus do that? Does Jesus do that because the way that we get saved is by keeping all the commands? We know that's not true, Right? We know that's not true at all. What, what we do know is the Bible is really clear about what the, the purpose of the commandments are. They are to show us our sin. In Romans 3.20 it says, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in this sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You see, the Bible is really clear. You know, what the, you know what the commandments of God do? They should show us, oh man, I'm in trouble. If, you're, if you were here a year ago, over, over a year ago, we were looking through the book of, 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 we were into the book of Matthew still, but we were in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And you remember what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, hey guys, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, right? And immediately everybody's like, 
Whew, I haven't done that one, you know, check that one off. And then Jesus is like, well, let me explain that to you. He said, if, if you have been angry in your heart, if you've had hatred in your heart for somebody, you have broken that command. You've murdered in your heart. God looks at your heart. He's not just looking at your action and you're a murderer. And then he goes to the next one. He says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. And, and a lot of people are like, well, check, I haven't done that one. And Jesus is like, but if you have looked at with lust, if you've looked with lustful intent at someone who's not your spouse, you've already committed adultery in your heart, okay? So and Jesus just goes through the commandments that way, right? So what, what, why is he giving this guy the commandments? He's giving this guy the commandments so that he can see he's not kept them. He can see that he's in trouble, that he's broken, that he's in need. But this guy doesn't see that. You know, you know what he does when Jesus says, here are the commandments? He's like, yep, got that one, got that one, got that one. I mean, he, he's broken from this standpoint. He's coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons. He's coming to Jesus for advice and not for salvation. Jesus is his only hope, his only means of righteousness, his only means of salvation and forgiveness. And instead of coming to Jesus for that, he's coming to Jesus for Bible answers instead of for salvation. So this guy says, yep, I've kept him. Now notice the ones that, the commandments that Jesus gives him. It's almost like he's, 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 he's giving him the easy ones. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that's probably a bad way to look at this. But, but he, just, he gives them just the commandments between men. He doesn't even talk about yet the commandments between us and God. So he says adultery, he says murder, he says uh, bearing false witness or lying, honor your father and mother. And then he sums them up by you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let, let, me, just, let me just remind you guys, we are incredibly good at deceiving ourselves. I mean, Jesus just says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You should love your neighbor. You should think of your neighbor's needs. You should minister to your neighbor. You should, you should think of the interests of your neighbor with the same intensity that you think of your own interests. I've not done that. Have you done that? Have, have, you, have you been concerned and, and, and have you given energy and effort to taking care of your neighbor with the same energy you do for yourself? I've not done that, guys. Like, I, I give it tries, but man, I fall short. What's the rich young ruler say? Yep. Yep, got him. I've done it. Now, what Jesus does next, please understand, he does because he loves this guy. I, I know that for sure because in Mark, okay, in Mark, after, after the rich young ruler says, yep, I've kept all these commandments, got them done. What, what else is there? Anything else, Jesus? Anything else to get me into heaven? Any other one deed I need to do? And Jesus says, or Mark records in verse 21, Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said. Okay, so what, what Jesus says next, he says because he really loves this guy. And here's what he tells the guy. Okay, go sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. You're like, that's loving him? Yes. This guy's headed straight for hell. He does not see his own brokenness. He thinks, I'm, I'm a great guy. I'm a good guy. I've done it all. Anything else I need to do? Or am, I, am I in? And so you know what Jesus does? He puts his finger on this guy's idol. Isn't it interesting that the commandments that Jesus has left out so far? The first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The second one, don't make for yourself an idol. <laughs> you know, the 10th one, he left out the 10th one. Thou shalt not covet. 
I mean, this, this guy's got, and I, he's worshiping his wealth. He's worshiping his, his, his possessions. And so Jesus puts his finger on the thing that this guy treasures more than he treasures God. Now, Jesus talked to a lot of people about salvation. You, you may be thinking of some in your head right now, right? Like Nicodemus, he talked to Nicodemus about salvation. He talked to the woman at the well about salvation. Um, you know, the whole gospels are full of these conversations about salvation. And isn't it interesting that he doesn't tell anybody else. Have you noticed that? He didn't tell anybody else, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. All right? So why does he tell this guy that? Because that's this guy's idol. Now, you know what he did tell everybody? Universally, he said things like your first memory verse from March, Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What, what, is, what does that mean? That means if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to be willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. All right? He said that. He, he was really clear that following Jesus doesn't mean giving him third place. Okay? You know what? Following Jesus does not mean that you're like, hey, you know what, Jesus? We, we, we realize that we don't have much religion in our life, so we have cleared out a spot for you, number three, you know? We're, we got family first, we got our, 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 our money second, and ah, uh, well, Jesus actually rethinking that. We, career really needs to be third, you know? And so we've got, we've, we've pushed out a place here right above gardening, and we got you in number four, all right? You can't come to the kingdom that way. You can't come to the kingdom saying, Jesus, you're a little bit valuable, and so we're going we're gonna to put you down in number four spot. In fact, if you remember in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said something that ought to jar us, just like most of what Jesus said <laughs> jars us. But remember what he said in Matthew 10? He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You see, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all, is he? Right? If he's not Lord of all, if, if, if you're not saying, Jesus, you're the best thing. You're the one that's going to satisfy my soul. You're the one that's going to give me life. Jesus, I trust you. If you're not saying that, if you're saying, hey, Jesus, you're pretty good. Yeah, I'm going to put you right behind my, my career. Then you're not seeing Jesus. This guy is not seeing Jesus for who he is. You see, guys, nothing functions right unless you love Jesus most. Have you noticed that? Nothing functions right unless you love Jesus most. You know, if you've got family in the number one slot, that is incredibly American. That is incredibly uh, moral, you might say, but it's incredibly wrong. You will not be able to love your children. You will not be able to love your grandchildren in the way that they need to be loved unless you love Jesus more. You can't use your money rightly unless you love Jesus more than your money. He's, he's got to be first. He's got to be your treasure, okay? He's got to be your treasure. If he's not your treasure, then you haven't found life. So, so a lot of people try to make this all about money, and, and, and it is to some degree about money because that's what this guy's idol is. But, but here's the other side of it. There's lots of wealthy in the people in the Scriptures who did not make an idol of their money. Take Abraham, take Job, take Joseph of Arimathea, take Mark's household, take Cornelius. These were, these were people that said, Jesus, I'm willing to give it all for you. God, I'm, I'm willing to put you first. But 
to be true to what Jesus says here this morning, wealth can be a pretty sticky obstacle to come into the kingdom, isn't it? Let, let me show you what, Jesus, what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He said this to, to wealthy people. By the way, there's, there's two truths about us here this morning, okay? Truth number one, none of us in this room think we're rich. Truth number two, everyone in this room is rich, okay? So, you know, wealth is one of those things that how do you know? How do you know? Well, the only way to really know is, is you, you kind of compare yourself, I guess, to the rest of the world. And so when you compare us to the rest of the world, we're at the top. And then I don't even know how to think about this, but when you compare us to Jesus' world when this was written, there is no way that Jesus' disciples had the capacity to think of the people of God going home to our houses or driving here in our vehicles or having insurance plans like we have insurance or having retirement plans like we have retirement plans or going to a hospital like we go to a hospital. They had no idea of that kind of wealth. And so whenever the Bible talks about rich people, I know we all want to think about Bill Gates, right? Like stick it on that dude, right? But sus, isn't it? All right, 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't hope in your money. Don't hope in your possessions. Don't hope in your career. Don't hope in your retirement. Don't let that be your hope, okay? Listen. But on God, put your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, be rich in good works, be generous, be ready to share the storing up treasure for yourselves. In other words, use your money for the kingdom. Use your money to store up treasure for, yourself, for yourselves as a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. That which is truly life. All right, so, so why is he mentioned money here? Because that's this guy's idol, okay? But then he goes on to say these things about money. Verse 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? Only with difficulty. Then he goes on to say in verse 24, again I tell you, it's easier for a camel, okay? You guys know cam camels are big. They're really, got huge feet, you know? Uh, they're big. They're big animals. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, okay? A sewing needle. I know, I know you're going to maybe read commentaries that say, well, he was talking about a piece of rope because the word for rope sounds like camel, or he's talking about a gate in, in Jerusalem where camels had to get down on their knees and get their packs. He's talking about a camel and needle, okay? right? You know why I know it's, it's absolutely right for us to think of it that way? Because he's describing an impossible situation. That's what he's describing. How do we know that? Because it's the next verse, okay? So what he's saying is it's harder for a camel, or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He's describing an impossible thing. What's he saying? It's impossible. Look at verse 26. I'm so thankful for verse 26, all right? If it were not for verse 26, this would be despair, all right? But here's what verse 26 says. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. All right, so here's what Jesus is saying. In our own strength, We don't choose Jesus over stuff. We don't choose Jesus over relationships. We don't choose Jesus over sex. We don't choose Jesus over money. We don't choose Jesus over recreation. In our brokenness, that, that's our brokenness. Our brokenness is we don't, we don't want him, we don't value him. And so Jesus is like, it's impossible for you to come in the kingdom with man in your own strength. 
But with God, all things are possible. You know what that means? This room's full of miracles. Isn't that cool? This room is full of miracles. This room is full of people whose eyes have been opened to see that Jesus is the best thing. This room has people in it who, by a miracle of God, God has so opened their eyes to see the value of Jesus that you have been willing to turn your back on everything else and say, okay, Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm following you. Whatever i got to give up, I'll give up. Whatever I've got to do, I'll do it to follow you. That is a work of God. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And man, we, we see that in Scripture, don't we? Remember that guy named Zacchaeus? What did it say about him? It said about him he was a head tax collector. He's at the top of the economic bracket in in Jesus' day. He's got it all. And Jesus invites him to his house. He comes. Zacchaeus' eyes are open to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And you remember what he says? And Jesus doesn't tell him to do this. He just says this on his own. He says, Jesus, I will give away half of my income to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times. I'm going to make it right. Why did he do that? He saw the treasure. This wasn't his treasure anymore. Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus walked by his booth and said, hey, come follow me. Remember what he does? Closes the book, locks up the drawer, gives his keys to his assistant, says, hey, it's yours. And he follows Jesus. I'll tell you my favorite one in the scriptures. Abraham. Oh, man. 75 years old. He gets promised a son. Okay? He doesn't have any children. And with that son, he has promised your family will, will become a nation. That nation will, will give birth to the Messiah. And that Messiah will change the world. He waits 25 years. Have you ever waited, have you waited 25 years for anything? 25 years for a son. And finally that boy is born. That boy grows into a young, young boy. And then God speaks to Abraham. What does he say? Give him back. Give him back. Abraham starts up that mountain. He's got the wood. He's got the fire. Remember the conversation between him and Isaac? Dad, you got the wood and you got the fire. Where's the, where's the lamb? Abraham, God will provide. God will provide the lamb. He gets up there. He puts him on the altar. He's got the knife in the air. He's willing to give his only son, the son of promise, the son for which everything Abraham is hoping for rests in. And he's willing, he's willing to give him back to God. Hebrews 11 says, trusting that God could even raise the dead. He's still confident in God even when he's doing this. And God stops him, says, hey, over in the thicket, I provided. I provided a sacrifice. And then he tells, I love this conversation afterward. He tells Abraham, now I know you won't withhold anything from me. See the rich young ruler? He was withholding stuff, wasn't he? He was saying, Jesus, you're pretty good, but I'm not giving this up. This is better. My, my, my business is better. My, my, my investments are better. My security that my money gives me is better. And so if, if it's between you and this, I choose this. It's interesting, though. You know what it says in verse 22? After Jesus says, go sell your possess- what you possess, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. Verse 22 says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. He's grieving as he walks away. Now, you know what that tells me? That tells me he wanted Jesus, 
He just couldn't give up this other stuff. Now, he, you know what a lot of people want to do? I, I think if he could have done this, he would have done it. If Jesus would have given him this choice. A lot of people, here's what they want to do. They got all their stuff in one hand. And you know what we want to do? We'd like to reach out with the other one, get hold of Jesus, and be like, okay, I want you too. I, I, I'm going I'm to put you in my stuff here. Okay? Or, even more common, is, is this. I got all my stuff here. And Jesus, I... I want you to, and I tell you what, Jesus, I'm going to grab hold of you if I can reach you. And, and then, Jesus, would you just bless me with everything you said you would? Like, would you, would you show me that great joy you were talking about? Would you show me that satisfaction you satisfy my heart with? Would you show me how you can give me peace? Would you, would you let me experience all that? And, Jesus, if you'll let me experience all that, I'll let that stuff go. But, but, but I'm not willing to let it go until, until I know that you're going to give me all that you said you'd give me. It doesn't work that way, guys. That's not trusting him, is it? You, you got to let it go to grab hold of him. Well, here's what Peter said. Peter's listening to all this. I just love Peter. He's that dude that always asks the question that's in your heart, but you're afraid to ask it, you know? He's listening to all this, and here's what he says in verse 26. No, 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 27. Then Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? You almost think you ought to scold him, don't you? Like, it's almost like the kid at Christmas that walks into his grandparents and said, what'd you get me, you know? What'd you get me? Jesus doesn't scold him. You know why he doesn't scold him? Because you should be doing what Peter's doing here. You know what Peter's doing? Peter's saying, you know what? We know you're better. And so we've, we've turned our back on everything because we know you're better. Would you just give us some, some details about what's coming? Listen, that's a good thing, guys. You, you ought to savor all that Jesus is. You ought to savor how worthy he is. You ought to delight in that. You ought to roll that around in your mind. You ought to taste and see that the Lord is good. You, you know what Hebrews says? Hebrews says that's part of faith, okay? Part of faith is trusting and imagining and savoring all that God has for us. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Forever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. You've you got to believe that Jesus is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And so you know what He does? He gives Peter a little taste here, okay? You ready? Real quick, and then we, we're, we're done. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, in the new world... Okay, did y'all know there's going to be a new world? This one's going to be wrapped up pretty soon, okay? And there's going to be a new one. This is the broken version, and the, the new version is coming out, all right? And the new version is much better than the broken version. It has all the good things the broken version has except perfected, okay? So the new world's coming, all right? And Jesus says, uh, the Son of Man himself is going to sit on the glorious throne. He says, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, Peter, you're going to reign with me. You know, I'm going to be king, and you're going to reign with me. And then he says this. I love this. He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. Mark 10 clarifies it now. All right, Jesus says, listen, whatever you give up, I will be more to you than that. Okay, if you gave up the security of wealth, I'll be a greater security to you. If you gave up relationships, I will be better and I will provide better for you now. Okay, this is, this is not like health, wealth, gospel, like give 10 bucks, get 100 back. It's, it's not that. 
No, what it is is, Jesus, I trust you will be more to me than anything I have to give up to follow you. And then he says, and will inherit eternal life. And many who are first will be last and last will be first. Whatever you sacrifice for Christ's sake and for the gospel, you'll receive much more, much more. He's much more worth it. Man, I I tell you what I pray is happening. I, I pray that whatever you are tempted to put before Jesus. So for this guy, it was his possessions. You know what? For you, it might be a relationship. For you, it might be a, a habit, a sinful habit. Maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's I don't know. What, what is it? What, what's your idol? What is it that you're tempted to put your hope in rather than Jesus? I, I'm just praying that God put his finger on that this morning, just like he did for this guy. And, and, and what I'm praying is that that your eyes, that the impossible would happen. I'm praying that your eyes would be open to see Jesus is worth so much more. So much more than whatever you're, you're trusting in, whatever you're living for, whatever you're dependent on. He is worth more. And I'm hoping you'll, you'll be able to do just, just what the rich young ruler should have done. You'll just let go of that. You'll let go of it and, and you'll go hard after him. That's the path to joy. That's the path to happiness. That's the path to life.